I wanted you to turn with your, uh, take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about what is God's plan for your life. And I really just want to answer one big question that most people ask about their own life. They look back on their life. They look back on all the things that have happened to them. They look back on all the things where all the times they think that maybe they didn't do enough, didn't say the right thing, didn't, whatever it is, and they wonder, did I miss God's perfect plan? Did I miss his perfect will? Did he have something else for me? And sort of I'm going down this path, but it wasn't God's best. I want to answer that um, this morning if I can. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is, Samuel is the prophet of God, and um, he is going, he is serving the king who is Saul. Saul has made terrible decisions, and God has determined that Saul is not going to be the king for much longer, and so he informs Samuel and tells Samuel it's time to go anoint a new king for the future. And in verse 1, it says this, now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Skipping to verse 13, it says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought, anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on, and Samuel returned to Rama. I want to talk to you today about what is the plan for your life? What's the plan that God has? And specifically, have you missed it based on your experiences and your decisions? Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would anoint me and allow me to speak your words as they go forth. I also pray, Lord, that maybe your spirit would speak directly to our hearts and our minds so that you can communicate so clear to us your truth. As you anoint the words as they go forth, anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so you may accomplish your perfect will and we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many of you have already decorated for Christmas? Let me see your hands. High, get them high, okay? You've decorated, okay. How many of you will decorate this week? Let me see your hands. How many of you will wait till the middle of the month or later to decorate? Let me see your hands. Okay, how many of you have, how many have had your decorations up for more than two weeks? Let me see your hands. No judge, there's no judgment, okay. All right, very good. Um, this uh, this uh, past week, we went to, uh, we traveled to Mississippi, saw some family, came back on Thursday evening, and uh, Friday, uh, my daughter Lauren worked, and so yesterday was our time to put up Christmas. So we went upstairs, tried to find everything. We've got we moved to a new house um, uh, probably about six or seven months ago, and so we've got tons of storage upstairs in the attic, walk-in attic. It's great. We just don't know where anything is. We got tons of room to store stuff. We just don't know where anything is. So we have to go in, fix, and figure out which trees we would, which tree we want out of them, which um, decorations that we want. So we get it all done, and uh, we get it downstairs, get those put up, get uh, all the stuff that we want to get put up. And as we get finished yesterday, it was reminding me of when my kids were young, and they'd get so excited about Christmas, um, and they always wanted to know what the plan was. Like, 
when are we going to do the traditions? You know, when are we going to put the decorations up? When are we going to go see Christmas lights? When are we going to watch uh, Christmas movies? When are we going to, when do we go to grandparents' house? All of those things. Um, and um, the, now the questions never came to me because their mother had the plan. So they always went to her. And this was their question. My daughter would always say, okay, what's the deal? And my son would always say, okay, how's this going down? I don't know how that was their questions and why that was their question. That was their questions. And what they wanted to know was, what's the plan. I know we got a plan. I know there are things that are going to happen. I know there are generally things that are going to happen. What's the plan and how is it going to unfold? And that's really no different than your life and my life when it comes to following Christ. We want to know what the plan is. And yet that's not necessarily how he does things. How many of you have ever wanted to know what the plan was from somebody and they wanted to surprise you and so they kept, it complete, kept you in the dark from that? And it drove you crazy, right? Sometimes this is what it means to follow God, is that you trust in his plan, but you don't know all of the details, and you don't know when and how it's going to turn out. David is a young man that God's plan has been revealed to him through the prophet Samuel. Saul, the king, has been rejected, and Samuel comes to David's house and anoints him as king. As soon as that anointing is over with, the only thing, there's a little phrase that says, and the spirit of the Lord rested powerfully upon him from that day forward. Do you know what else changed in his life? Nothing. Not at first. He went right back where he was. And where was he? The Bible says that he was a shepherd watching the flocks of his father, watching the herds of his father. As a matter of fact, nothing changes for quite some time. Even though he's been anointed, even though the Spirit of God is resting powerfully on him, nothing in the details of his life seems to be changing. And that's the place where we can feel sometimes. When we're asking God, what's the plan for my life? And you've had experiences in your life You've made mistakes in your life. You've made decisions that you wonder, did I make the right decision? Sometimes you've made sinful uh, mistakes and sinful decisions, and you wonder, did that thwart God's plan in my life? Sometimes you've made decisions where you just did the best that you knew how, and you thought, did I make the right decision for my family? Did I make the right decision for my kids? Did I make the right decision for my career? Did I make the right decision for my marriage? Did I make the right decision? And has that, if it didn't turn out the way I thought, has it thwarted the plan of God in my life? Has God's plan been better for me if I'd have made a different decision? And I just want to give you two truths before we answer that question. The first truth is this, is that God's plan includes your abilities and your experiences. All of them. So what that means is this. All of the decisions you've made in your life, God knew about them. God's plan includes them. All of the things that you've done that you have regret in, God's plan includes. Doesn't mean he approves of everything that you've done, but his plan includes that in your life. All of your experiences, all of the times you've been hurt, all of the times that you've been disappointed, all of the times that you have been sick, your sickness, maybe when in your family, if you've experienced divorce, if you've experienced a breakup in your family, God's plan includes all of that. God knew about it from the very start. See, David 
David is anointed by Samuel on behalf of God. But listen, David's life is not one that you just think he's got everything going for him. As a matter of fact, when God calls Samuel and tells him to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and anoint one of his sons, he goes to Jesse and he says, I am to anoint one of your sons to be king. Bring your sons in. And so Jesse brings seven sons, lines them up. And Samuel says, from the oldest, he says, this one looks good. And God speaks to him and says, this is not the one. Samuel says, well, this one looks good. And God says, the Lord doesn't look on the outside. The Lord looks on the heart. This is not the one. And he goes down and on and on. And he finishes all seven of them. And nobody is king. God says, none of them. And Samuel is frustrated. He looks at Jesse. He said, I know God told me to come here. Is this all of your sons? And he said, well, no. There is one more. But he's out in the field. You wouldn't want him. Now, I know David is not there at this moment, but can I tell you something? All seven of those other brothers are going to tell him about that conversation. (laughs) That the man of God is instructed by God to come to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons, and Jesse didn't think that David was worthy of even being brought to the house to be considered. Imagine what that does to a young man's psyche. God anoints him to be king and he is sent right back into the fields where he came from. But God uses all of his abilities, all of his experiences. As a matter of fact, if you look at David, there are two things I want you to see in David. One, he's a shepherd. Now, he's not a shepherd by choice. David didn't choose a career and say, you know, I think shepherding looks good to me. He's the youngest. The oldest was a shepherd till the next one came along, and then he was the shepherd. Till the next one came along, he just happened to be the youngest and there's nobody to pass it to. So he's stuck with this position that he doesn't want. And yet God is going to use that to work out his plan and his purpose for his life. David could have sulked. David could have whined. David could have wallowed around his own insecurity because his dad didn't think he was worthy. But instead, he allowed God to develop him into the man he wanted him to be. As a matter of fact, there was a day that came where David is out in the fields and his brothers are gone, have gone off to war. There is a war between Philistia and Israel. His brothers have gone off to war. Jesse sends for David, tells David, I've prepared some food for your brothers who are fighting a good fight. You go up and take food to your brothers. So he goes up, he's taking food to his brothers. He sees this scene, and the scene is this. There's the army of Philistia, there's the army of Israel. There is the warrior, the champion of Philistia, which is Goliath. He is a giant of a man, and he is challenging what was common during that day, which was our greatest warrior will fight your greatest warrior, and we don't don't have the, we can mitigate a lot of troop deaths. So the winner of this battle wins everything. But nobody in Israel wanted to fight him. And so David says, why isn't anyone fighting this guy? Why isn't anyone able to go up against this guy? His brothers look at him and say, why are you even here? Why aren't you back home with the sheep, little man? The the condescension in their tone. And yet one person hears David and goes to King Saul because for weeks, Goliath has been coming out making the same challenge 
Saul brings him in. Saul looks him over and says, you can't fight this guy. And David said, I think I can. And the reason I can, this is his whole reason, is you don't understand. I'm a shepherd. Which doesn't look good on the resume for fighting giants. But look at what he says. In, verse, in verses 34 through 37 of chapter 17, David persisted to Saul. I have taken care of my father's sheep and goats. And that, that doesn't look impressive, okay? But then he goes on and says, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, rescue the lamb from its mouth, and if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Can we just pause right there for a moment? That feels impressive at that point. I don't know of anybody that just takes a lion or a bear by the jaw and clubs it to death. Now, what's the, he's been a shepherd. All he's doing is the job duties of a shepherd. The difference is the spirit of the Lord moved on his life every single day. And when he is in the confines of, the, of, of being a shepherd, when no one is watching, the spirit of the Lord is guiding him and leading him and anointing him. And God is preparing him for something that he's going to use him for later on. He can't see it probably at the time. I'm sure every time he looks up and a, a lamb is gone. He goes, oh, another bear, another lion. Nothing feels purpose-filled in this, and yet God is going to use these things. So here's what he says. He goes on and says, I've done this to both the lions and the bears. I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies, defied the armies of the living God, and the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented, all right, Go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Even in the fields where he, forgot, where he felt forgotten, God was preparing him for what was next for him. And God teaches David how to be a warrior and a leader in the lonely fields of being a shepherd. He uses his abilities and his experience. He's not only a shepherd, though. He's a musician, the Bible says. The Bible calls it a harp. It's kind of um, a lyre, which is L-Y-R-E. It's, it's, it's almost like what you would consider to be kind of a hybrid guitar is, is what we're talking about. He would play. Saul, the king, was disturbed in his spirit, and the only thing that would help him was someone would come and play music, beautiful music, and it would soothe him. And so prior to David meeting Saul to fight Goliath, David actually winds up in Saul's palace because he could play this instrument and soothe Saul. But Saul had forgotten about him. When he sees him at Goliath, he asks him who he is. He doesn't even remember who this young man was. But God had strategically placed him. Look in verse, uh, chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. All right, Saul said, find someone who plays well, bring him here. And one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He's a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So God brings him into the palace. He doesn't bring him into a great job. I mean, this job feels so insignificant that Saul doesn't even remember this young man. Only when he's disturbed, he says, bring in that guy that plays well and, is long, and let it soothe me and then have him leave. 
It's very insignificant, but what is God doing? He's strategically placing him in the palace so that David could be taught what it means to see the inner workings of a kingdom that God has anointed him for in the future. He's going to see the decisions that had to be made. He's going to see the people that could be trusted. He's going to see what kings do and what kings don't do. He's going to see what nations could be trusted. That's what God's plan does. It includes all of your abilities and it includes all of your experiences, even the things that seem insignificant and especially the things that seem overwhelming. All of the mistakes, all of the hurt, all of the disappointment, all of the loss, all of the regret in your life. Can I just tell you something? God's plan for your life includes all of those things to mold you and to make you into the person he's calling you to be. It includes all of it. But that's not the remarkable thing. It's not that he includes it. It's that God's plan transforms your abilities and your experiences for his glory. It doesn't just include them. He begins to utilize them for his glory. What is David? He's a shepherd. He's a musician. When David finally becomes king and the people recognize him as king, look what they say. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then all of the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We're, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, notice this, you will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. You'll be Israel's leaders. What did the people recognize? This man who spent his entire life as a shepherd is now going to shepherd and care for us. We've lived under a ruler who thought that we were created just for him. Now God's sending us someone who will lead and care for us. It's the same thing that Jesus did. Jesus is walking along the shores one day of the Sea of Galilee. He sees four men. All of them have a partnership in a fishing business. Simon Peter, Andrew, his brother Andrew, James, and John. All of them, they're partners being fishermen out on the Sea of Galilee. And he looks at all of them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will take who you are, what you've done, all of your abilities, all of your experiences, and I will transform them, and you will now seek out the lost for me. God even uses David's experience as a shepherd to convict him of one of the worst moments of his life. The Bible tells us that David, in his pride, sees a woman that he wants. She is married to another man. He knows it. He inquires about her. They tell him, this is Uriah's wife. Where is Uriah? He is on the front lines fighting for this nation, fighting for you. David calls for her. He impregnates her. He tries to cover it up. And in the process, he has her husband murdered. And he thinks he's gotten away with it. He brings her into his family. He marries her. And he thinks he's gotten away with it. And then the prophet Nathan comes to him. And Nathan says, let me tell you a story. You can read it on your own. It's found in chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. But as he tells him this story, he says, here's the story. He said, there's a man. He's a poor man. He has one sheep. 
and he loves this sheep. He loves it like it's his own child. He dotes over it. This is not a normal sheep to this man. He has a neighbor, and that neighbor has hundreds and thousands of sheep and cattle and everything you need. And the man with all of this has a neighbor that is coming to, has a, uh, someone who's coming to visit him. And to be hospitable, he's going to kill one of the animals, one of the sheep, and he's going to give it and celebrate in a meal. And instead of taking one of the hundreds or the thousands that he has, he's going to go over and take the one sheep that this man has. He says, what should be done to that man? David said, as surely as the Lord lives, he ought to lose his life. And Nathan says, you're the man. God says, I have given you the kingdom and everything I had for Saul and even more. And if you would have asked me, I would have given you even more than this. And yet you take Uriah's wife and have that man murdered. How does he convict him? Through the heart of a shepherd. What should be done to someone who does this to somebody else's sheep? Now, this is the mind-boggling part of God's plan. David will pay a steep price for his sin. He'll pay a steep price for his sin. The kingdom is going to pay a steep price for his sin. His family is going to pay a steep price for his sin. And yet, at the same time, the woman that he brings in, whose husband he murdered, eventually will give birth to a child, and that child's name will be Solomon, and God will tell him to anoint Solomon as the next king of Israel. I can preach grace. I can teach grace. I can try to explain it to you and myself. I can never comprehend it. That in spite of the magnitude of the sin and the evil of taking this man's wife and having him murdered and bringing her into his own home, God will still choose to use one of their children to lead his people later. This is the grace of God that knows everything about you, that loves you, that knows that there's a steep price for sin. He never condones it, but also because of Jesus Christ, our Lord has paid the price for that sin, and all who will come to Jesus and admit that will have their sins forgiven and God's plan has not been thwarted, but God's plan is still available for their lives today. That is incomprehensible grace that you and I have. David is a musician. There's a book of Psalms. The word Psalm simply means song that are used for worship. David writes 73 of the 150 that are included in Scripture. One of them, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to go home and read one of them. I don't have time for us to walk through it. It's the 23rd Psalm. It is a perfect blend of both the shepherd and a musician. But one I do want to read to you is one that God gave him that David instructs the people to sing. Psalm 51, it's not a pretty psalm. It's a song of agony, of regret, remorse, and repentance. As a matter of fact, this is the description of the song. For the worship leader, 
a psalm or a song of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have you ever read a song and you wonder, I wonder what that person was going through when they wrote this? You don't have to wonder on this one. And yet God says, write it, have everyone sing it. I'm gonna put it in my word. And until I come again, people will read this. And here's what it says. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy of my salvation. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Do you realize in the worst of his moments, God took that and made it where you and I, even when we've made the deepest sin, the deepest mistakes, and we have no words for ourselves, we can read the words that God gave him and his regret and his remorse and his repentance, and we can pour our hearts out to the Lord, and we can come away clean because of Jesus, because his plan doesn't just include all of your abilities. His plan doesn't just include all of your experiences. It literally transforms them and uses them for his glory. Which begs the question, have I missed God's plan? Have I missed it? Did the decision that I made way back then, have I missed it? The sin that I committed way back then, have I missed his plan? The decision I made where I tried to do my best, but I'm not sure it didn't turn out the way that I want. Have I missed God's plan for my life or the experience Has this sickness thwarted the plan for my life? Has this divorce or this family breakup thwarted God's plan for my life? Has this failure in school or anything else, has it thwarted the plan of God for my life? And I am so encouraged when I read what God has to say about his wonderful plan and will for your life. Romans 12 and 2 says, don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Before God will ever transform your life, he's going to transform your mind and transform the way you think. I want you to hear me. There is no plan B with God. And we have trouble trying to comprehend that. Because we think, oh, we messed up. Let me fix this. 
We think that God has this transcript or this, uh, this story of our lives and we make a mistake or we do something or a decision goes wrong or an experience that we weren't expecting and we think that God's just scratching this out and go, I have no idea what they did there. Let me, still, let me fix this. And we just keep running down and meandering down these paths that God never intended. Can I just tell you something? There is no plan B for God because before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew every decision you were gonna make. Let me, let me free you up. It is impossible to disappoint God. Now, let me explain that. You can displease him, but you can't disappoint him because this is, in order to disappoint somebody, you have to expect something different. So I can disappoint my kids. You can disappoint somebody in your family. You can disappoint your boss. You can disappoint your coworker. You can disappoint your spouse. You can disappoint because they're expecting something different out of you. If God knows you perfectly, he knows exactly because you can't disappoint him. You can displease him. And if he knows everything about you, his plan has already included that to understand it. This is not an excuse to sin by no means because God's will is for you to be holy, to live different. But I meet so many Christians that they've been listening to the lies of the enemy whisper into their minds that says, if you just wouldn't have done that, you could have been something for God. If you just would have made a better decision, God could have used you in your life. If you just wouldn't have made this mistake in your life, God could have done something with you. Can I just tell you something? God is still in the business of taking every experience and every ability that you have and transforming it for his eternal glory to be used by him to accomplish his purpose in your life. That's why Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes everything. What? everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose for them. God's plan for your life is not an event. It is a process that he is working continually out in order to develop you into the man or the woman of God he's called you to be. I didn't take the traditional route into ministry. And for years, that bothered me. For years, I had a little insecurity about it. I didn't come into the ministry until I was 28 years old. Now, when I was 16, I know exactly where I was. I, I know I, I can take you to the place I was standing at a summer youth camp when God called me to be a preacher. And I said, I don't think so. My dad was a minister. My dad was a pastor. He pastored small churches all of our lives. We just, we struggled financially. And I was, um, and, and when I say struggle, I don't mean we were lower middle class. I mean, I was the guy that didn't want anybody to know that, you know, we were in the free lunches. I mean, we were, we were it, it, it was bad for us, tough. And in my mind, I thought, somebody's got to make some fun, money in this family. So I didn't go to Bible college. I went to a state university I got a business degree and I spent six years in business before I finally yielded to the call. I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior in college, uh, turned my life over to him. But every time I would feel that call back to the ministry, I would just take a little step away. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rebel. I wouldn't I'd turn away. I wouldn't backslide. I wouldn't do anything. I just, I just, I don't know if I want to do that. When I finally did yield, I felt like I was so behind the eight ball. People my age that were in ministry, 
They had gone to Bible school. They had Bible. They had theology. They probably had five to seven years of preaching experience. I had nothing. And I just felt like, man, if I would have only done things differently. There's no telling where God would have had me at this point. And the Lord just sort of spoke into my heart and said, don't you think I knew all this? Don't you think I knew that when I called you when you were 16? Don't you think I knew that when you decided to go and get a business degree? He said, Kirk, let me just tell you something. He said, yeah, you're gonna have to take the Bible courses, take the theology courses. You're gonna have to learn how to preach. You gotta do all those things. He said, but let me tell you what I did with you. For those six years, I taught you I taught you how to deal with people out in the real world. I taught you how to learn that you had to navigate relationships with people, sometimes difficult, in order just to make a living. I taught you how to run a business. I taught you how to run an organization. I taught you administrative skills. He said, yeah, you're catching up on all these things. He said, other people are catching up on the things I've taught you. He said, don't you think I knew these things? Don't you think that my plan for you, that you didn't surprise me in any way, shape, or form, and you were right where I need you to be at this moment? I just want to speak life into somebody right now. Whatever you're experiencing, if it's a hurt, if it's a loss, if it's a sickness, if it's a family issue, listen to me. God knows exactly where you are and he is guiding you into his perfect plan for your life right now. And he just wants you to continually say yes to him. Some of you, you live with the pain of your past decisions. Is it okay if I just speak real truth to you right now? Some of you in this room, I feel this so deep in my spirit right now. Some of you in this room, you made a mistake, you sinned, and you've given it to Jesus. And he's forgiven you, but you won't let it go. Stop hanging on to what Jesus has already set you free from. Stop hanging on to guilt that Jesus bled and died to set you free from and move into God's wonderful plan for your life. Don't let the lies of the enemy keep you from the promise of the Savior because his plan for you is good and it is right. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're in this room right now or watching online, but especially those in the room, and you know, you know when you came in this place, things aren't right between you and the Lord. But you say, today I'm making a decision to follow him. I wanna be in that plan. I know God knows where I am, but he's also orchestrated this very moment for you, for you to come home to him. 
You just need to pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've never given up on me. I thank you that you paid the price for my sins, and I thank you that I can be forgiven of those things. So I ask your forgiveness, and I yield to your lordship. You're now leader and lord of my life. I will do what you say through your word and through your spirit from this day forward. And I will never be the same. Now, if everyone would just pray this prayer of profession with me, say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, if that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you, but today, for the first time or the first time in a long time, you say, I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, would you be bold enough just to raise your hand really high for me and keep it up just a moment, please? Yep. God bless you. God bless you. Just keep them up just a moment more, please. Thank you. Amen. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Father, I thank you for the lives that have been changed. I thank you for eternal hope that rests within each of us. And I pray that any shame or guilt or regret that has been felt by them be lifted now in the name of Jesus and joy would just invade their hearts and their souls. God, I ask in your holy name, that every person in this room that is filled with regret for a decision they made, that the enemy tries to bring up to them, I pray in the name of Jesus that they will remember what your word says, what the psalmist wrote, that as far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins been removed, that you have cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, never more to be remembered against us. And so we stand on that promise today. For every person in this room that thinks that whatever circumstances that life has dealt them, if it's divorce, if it's a business failure, if it's an emotional crisis, if it's a sickness, if it's a loss, whatever the setback they think has kept them from your will, remind them, O oh Lord, that you knew all of this from the very beginning and your will, your plan is perfectly being formed in their lives today. And Lord, for all of these things, we rest in hope and we hope in Jesus. And we thank you in advance by faith. Amen and amen. Hey, can you celebrate with me today? 13 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ in this place. Come on. Give the Lord praise in this place. Amen. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or in the last few weeks, we would love to help you get started on this walk with Jesus. Um, or if you just need some more information about Mount Perrin North to get plugged in, maybe to find your gifts, your abilities, your passions, we'd love to help you that, uh, as, with that as well. Uh, after as soon as service is over with, right down front, part of our uh, grow team will be here. If you'll give us two minutes, we'll get a lot of information into your hands and hopefully get you pointed in the right direction as well. On your way out, you should receive an advent calendar. If you didn't get one last week, I hope you'll get one this week. Um, it has little prompts for the 25 days in December that begin that will actually begin this week. And what we're doing is we're trying to do some things together as a church family. Um, you can also follow on social media. You can uh, download the church app and we'll get some notifications to you as well on the things we're doing. Next Sunday, there'll be a visual display that's out in the atrium uh, that'll help you as, as well, just to remind you of those prompts. But some of those things are just spending time uh, doing some of uh, things, showing kindness, reading passages together. So um, I hope you'll be a part of that 
grab one of those calendars, put it on your refrigerator, put it somewhere where you can be reminded daily of that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. And before you leave, I'd love to have the privilege to bless you according to Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great one.